This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. If someone were to ask you, how can you tell if Christ is real to you? How would you answer that question? You say, well, I don't know, Brother Lamb, but I really have to think about that. How can you tell Christ is real to me? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Now, actually, that's what we're going to do, you know, explore today. And that's how we can tell about Christ and, and how well Christ is working in our lives today. How real He is in our lives today. And I hope that you'll stay tuned as we discuss this theme, the acid test. You see, that's the acid test of the Christian. And I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now, today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we're offering a free Bible correspondence course. And I emphasize the free part. <laughs> you say, Brother Lambert, Nothing is free. This is free. And because we anything that we offer on getting to know your Bible, there is never a charge. And that is a promise that I make to you. We don't ask for money, and we don't charge for things that we offer. And we want you to have this course, and that we might you might know more about it and how to receive it. We're going to make a, a pause right now. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational, it's based on the Bible, it's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. Today I'm going to be reading from the book of Colossians, the third chapter, and I'm going to start reading at verse 18, read down through verse 21. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. What is the acid test of the Christian life? How can others know that Christ is real in my life? Somebody says, well, you know, Brother Lambert, I, I, I think it has to do with church attendance. I, I, I think if you attend all of the services of the church, 
Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, special events. That, that, that ought to tell the world how important Jesus is in your life. Well, I, I think that it is important for us to be faithful in attending every service that we can, that, that unless we're providentially hindered. But, but is that the way people tell that Christ is real in our life? So someone may say, well, I think the way that people know Christ is real in my life is the fact that, that I let them know how often I pray. Well, first of all, that sounds like you're blowing your own trumpet. But the fact that you pray is important. But we could pray every day, but how do other people know Christ is important in our life? How do they know that, he's a, that he is a top line in my life, that he's preeminent in my life, that he's first in my life? Somebody says, well, I can tell you I drop in a big check on Sunday. I actually had a man to tell me that he hoped that that would get him in the pearly gates. The fact that he dropped a check in on Sunday. But how do people know that we're Christians? How, how can they tell that Christ is working in your life? Somebody says, well, I, I invite other people to come with me occasionally. And not long ago, we had a great big family day and and I invited friends of mine to come, and I, I told them we're having a big meal after family day, and they got all excited about coming when I told them that. That's how people ought to know Jesus is real to me. I've got people visiting with me. All of those things are good. But, but friends, let's just get real for a minute. The way people know Christ is real in our lives, is what Jesus does for me at home. How, how, how Jesus is working in my life within the four walls of my house. If Christ is not working in your life at home, how can He be working in your life anywhere else? And we want to talk about how we can tell Christ is working in your life at home. And the first thing we note from the text that I read is that we can tell how, working, how Christ is working in our lives at home by the way that wives treat their husbands. Verse 18 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Now, the word submit here does not mean that you are to be submissive to a tyrant. It doesn't mean that you are to be submissive to a guy that's like a beast. Someone that may beat on you. I knew a young woman whose husband would beat on her. And she was expecting a child. And while she was expecting that child, he took his fist and hit her in the stomach. 
God never intended a woman to be submissive to a beast. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about being submissive to someone that thinks you are his footstool. A woman is not a man's footstool. It doesn't mean she's inferior to the husband, the man. If you were to get into your automobile, or I were to get into mine for that matter, and we go down the highway at an excessive rate of speed, and the policeman pulls you over to the side of the road, and he asks for your license, and he tells you how fast you were going, and you get a ticket. The fact that he pulled you over to the side of the road means that you had to become submissive to that policeman. Because now he's in authority. That was his function as an individual is to enforce the law. And you had to become submissive to him because he's enforcing the law. Does that mean that as a human being that you are inferior to that policeman? Absolutely not. You're not inferior to him. He just has a function or a role in life that you don't have. And that's to enforce the law. And, be, and, and because a woman is to be submissive to her husband, does not suggest that she is inferior to him. For she is not. As a matter of fact, some of the brightest women I know, a whole lot brighter than some of the men I know. And to be submissive as a wife doesn't mean that she is to be used as a doormat. You see, God never intended marriage to be a head-on collision. So what is he talking about? The word submit means to yield. Let, let me use an illustration. Suppose I'm in my car, and I'm going down a, a, a very narrow road, and I come to a bridge that's crossing a stream of water. And when I look at this bridge, I can tell that it's a one-lane bridge, that only one car at a time and pass over that bridge. And there's a sign that says, Yield to oncoming traffic. And when I look at the bridge, I see there's a car that just got onto the bridge. So I yield to that car. And I have to wait until that car gets off the bridge, and then I cross over to the other side. And once I cross over to the other side, I look in my rearview mirror, I see another sign. And guess what that sign reads? Yield to oncoming traffic. You know in Ephesians 5, 21, there's a, but Paul said, yield yourselves one to another in the fear of God. There, there's a sense in which we are to be submissive to each other. We are to yield or to submit to one another, that is, we're to look out for one another's good. So a woman is to yield her, her husband, to submit to her husband. And she is to, the, the husband is to yield 
to her, that is, look out for the her, or, or to look out for the good in her life. What's best for her? She is to yield to his leadership. The Bible says, "Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord." And we're to be submissive to to Christ, and we're and wife to be submissive to her husband. But you know, if you have a wife that wants to rule the roost, you're going to have problems. Now, granted, there are some homes where the husband is so passive that the wife has to take the lead. And that's not God's order, but sometimes, unfortunately, that's just the way it is. But, but we can tell whether or not Christ is working in your life by the way that husbands treat their wives in the family. Notice verse 19. Husband, love your wives and be not bitter against them. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul there said, well, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. What kind of love is that? What kind of love is the love of Colossians 3.19? It's the same kind of love of Ephesians 5.25. What kind of love is it? It is unselfish love. Well, one of the greatest sins that I believe that exists if, if, in fact, not the only sin that exists is the sin of selfishness. I have said before that I think that's the only sin. I've never had anyone to tell me another sin that exists. You see, I believe every other sin in some way is rooted in selfish desires. A man is a drunkard. Why is he a drunkard? He's selfish. He's thinking only about himself. A person becomes a dope addict. Why, why are they addicted to drugs? They, they, they were not thinking about how that hurts other people. They're thinking about themselves. You, you see, selfishness is at the core of all sin. And a husband is to love his wife with an unselfish love. He's to be selfless and unselfish. He's not to think about himself first. He's thinking about his wife first. And when he thinks about his wife first, that's when he's loving her. A husband is to love his wife like Jesus loved the church. Well, what kind of love was that? It was sacrificial love. Jesus laid down his life for the church. He gave his life for the church. And a husband is to give himself for the best interest of his wife. That is, he's to put her first in all things. There isn't anything that is more troubling to a family than a man who wants to put himself first. I remember a little couple coming to me years ago for counseling. And I began to ask him what was wrong and then I asked her what was wrong and here was the problem. She wanted to spend all of their money fixing up the cabinets in the kitchen. 
That's what she wanted. He wanted to spend their money on fishing tackle and tires for his truck. So here's what I told them. Both of you are mighty selfish. You're very selfish because you're only thinking about what you want. You need to work together. And there is a word, a four-letter word, that will help resolve this problem. And it is not love. It is the word ours. O-U-R-S. Ours. This is not my kitchen. This is our kitchen. This is not my truck. This is our truck. Think about things in light of what is ours. We're in this marriage together. Selfishness will destroy a marriage. Hence, a husband is to love his wife unselfishly, unselfishly and sacrificially. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus loved the church. Folks, let me tell you something. A man who loves his wife like Jesus loved the church will never have a wife that will nurse a bruise on her body. In all probability, I'm speaking to some woman right now who has a bruise on her body that she got from her husband. It'd be kind of unusual if that were not the case. And I may be speaking to some man who put that bruise on his wife. And if that's the case, I will say to you, sir, you do not love your wife like Jesus loved the church. You need to get down on your knees and you need to ask your wife to forgive you. You need to get down on your knees and pray that God will help you be a better man than that. To love your wife. You can tell how well Christianity is working in a home but by the way a husband treats his wife. And in this passage he says, and do not be bitter. Do not be bitter against them. I lived on the farm when I was a boy, and, and, and sometimes when people hear me preach and I make references to the farm life, they can tell that. And, and I'm not, I, I don't even apologize for that because I'm very proud of my, my upbringing. And, and we had cows on our farm, and we had to milk those cows. We milked them by hand, and... And we would use the milk on our tables. I'd put that in my cereal and I'd drink it in a glass. And it wasn't pasteurized. It didn't, didn't have the benefit of that kind. But mother did find a glass milk jar. And she would put that milk that we got from the cow in that glass jar and put it in the refrigerator to get cold. 
sometimes one of those old cows would get out in the pasture and as she was grazing, she would eat what we referred to as a bitter weed. And you could tell by the drinking of that milk when that old cow had been in the bitter weeds because it made the milk bitter. And when a man is bitter toward his wife, for whatever reason, it causes this bitterness, this root of bitterness, to produce fruit that affects the entire family. It affects the children. They know it. They can tell it. And if not resolved, it can cause the dissolution of that marriage. Don't be bitter against your wife. You know, men and women are just different. They're just different. We don't see things alike. We look through a different lens. Men look through the factual lens. Women look through the emotional lens. And unless we understand that women are emotional beings, sometimes a man may, may become bitter toward his wife because she doesn't act in a certain way or because she does act in a certain way. Husbands, love your wives. And don't be bitter against them. You can tell how well Christ is working in a home by the way children treat the parents. Notice verse 20, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Obey, obey simply just means to follow the rules. Parents set down rules in the home, follow the rules. But what are you teaching your children? Are you teaching your children the right things. One of the greatest needs in America is for young people to be taught moral values. To be taught that some things are right and some things are wrong. And if you don't teach your children anything else, please start teaching them moral values in the home. And that they must follow those values not only in the home, but when they're outside the home as well. Don't teach our children to be selfish. Let's not teach our children to be materialistic. Let's not teach our children to be disruptive. Teach our children rules to follow. Don't be show partiality in the home. Let, let, let's think about what the way fathers are reacting to their children down in verse 21. He says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Children can be discouraged just like older people can be discouraged. And there are many things that can provoke children. One of those things is, is over-controlling children. When you over-control a child, you're, you're a control freak. You're going to provoke your children to anger. I've seen fathers that were like that. They were just, they wanted to have an iron fist on every little detail. 
They're just control freaks. And then under controlling also can provoke our children. That's happened to Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 13, or it happened to the sons of Eli rather, Eli's sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. He, he did not discipline his children. His children became vile and disruptive. They became sinful men. And so we need to teach our children uh, better than that. And then we can provoke our children by showing partiality between children. Have you ever seen that happen with parents? Have you ever seen that happen with grandparents? Pa showing partiality. If you want to read a story, let me recommend that you go to the Genesis, the 25th chapter, and read the story about two boys that were born and the parents showed partiality between those two boys. And because of that partiality, out of the loins of those two boys, there came the nation of Israel and the nation of Edom. And there was animosity between the two nations. And I am convinced between, in, in my heart that all of that goes back to the fact that the parents showed partiality between those two boys. And those two boys had problems between themselves. Don't show partiality. And then we can discourage our children by living inconsistent lives before them. Our children ought to see Jesus living in us. I have grandchildren. And I ought to be able to tell every one of my grandchildren, I want you to follow granddaddy because I'm trying to follow Jesus. You know, Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, be followers of me because I'm followers of Christ. And we need to set the tone. We need to set the pace. We need to give them steps to follow in life. To model their lives after. Are we doing that? You see, we can tell how well Christ is working in our lives by the, by the way we treat each other at home. How are you treating your children? How are you treating your grandchildren? How are, you, how are you treating your fathers and your mothers? How are you treating your husband? How are you treating your wife? Christ needs to work at home first. First. And Jesus needs to be number one. If you're not a Christian, become one by believing in Jesus, repenting of your sins, being baptized as a penitent, confessing believer, because Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Let me give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And before we close, let me urge you to pick up the telephone right now and call for the free Bible correspondence course. The free Bible correspondence course. Do it right now until we meet again. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you is my prayer. Getting to know your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, 
or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.